0: that is uh, in St. Luke that appears very very short in, in Latin that our Lord says about his mission he says I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it would were already blazing mitre And uh, the Lord then talks about this baptism with which he is to be baptized with and uh, how great his anguish is until it is accomplished. He says, then, do you think I have come to establish peace on earth? No, I, I tell you, but rather division. But he starts with this image of Fire that phrase of our Lord. I found out that this phrase is the motto of the English college in Rome where many English priests over the centuries were trained especially during the counter-reformation where there were all the upheavals in the church and uh, they would go there to Rome they would hear you know, the music of Palestrina they would see all the great art of Michelangelo and Raphael and the architecture of Bernini and then very often after having been formed in Rome they would they would have to travel in disguise to their home country, to England to serve the Catholics there who were in hiding I mean all Catholics were in hiding it was basically illegal and they knew perfectly well that they faced arrest, they faced torture many of them Horrendous death. And of those, 44 from the Venerable College of the the Bede, it's called the Bede, have already been canonized or beatified because they suffered uh, martyrdom. And of course, for them to go back into this very dangerous situation, they could have stayed with the music of Palestrina in Rome, but they instead uh, marched into these dangerous areas somehow it has to do with this zeal this drive to set the world on fire with the love of God and why did the Lord come to set fire on the earth what was really his statement all about and indeed many have suffered and died throughout the church church history and certainly 16th and 17th century England was no exception many many uh, lay people would su- would suffer martyrdom just because they went out to receive Holy Communion. In fact, Pope Benedict visited the English college in 2012 and he too referred to that motto, Iñem vene miter in He said, your college motto speaks of Christ's desire to bring fire to the earth and your mission is to serve as his instruments in the work of rekindling the faith in your respective homelands. Fire, in sacred scripture, he said, frequently serves to indicate the divine presence. Fire. You know, like the burning bush. Whether it be the burning bush from which God revealed his name to Moses, the pillar of fire that guided the people of Israel on their journey from slavery to freedom, or the tongues of fire that descended upon the apostles at Pentecost, enabling them to go Forth in the power of the Spirit to proclaim the Gospel to the ends of the earth. Just as a small fire can set a whole forest ablaze, so the faithful testament of a few can release the purifying and transforming power of God's love so that it spreads like wildfire throughout the community or throughout a nation. And like the martyrs of England and Wales, let your hearts burn He said, "Let your hearts burn with love for Christ, for the Church, for the Mass, for Christ, for the Church, and for the Mass." He reiterated this image of fire, and that's why our Lord spoke about letting this fire really be come onto the earth. And uh, and then he said, "Offer them living water of the, the living water of the Christian faith." and point them towards the bread of life, so that their hunger and their thirst may be satisfied. Above all, however, let the light of Christ shine through you by living lives of holiness, following in the footsteps of many great saints of England, of Wales, holy men and women, who bore witness to God's love, even at the cost of their lives. It's a beautiful invitation that Pope Benedict gave to the English College, and it reminds us, of course, that we too want to set fire to the earth. We too want to be apostles. We too want to have that zeal for souls, mm-hmm. zeal for souls that will lead them to love for Christ, for the for for the Mass, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, just hunger, just this hunger mm-hmm. for the light of Christ, for for real holiness, and of course the Lord uh, doesn't leave us all alone. He he, transforms the apostles and he transforms us. As he said, speaking about the apostles, for their sake, I consecrate myself. And our Father taught us many times that we are like, like good wheat in the wounded hand. This image, wheat in the wounded hand of the divine sower. And there he soaks that wheat with his redemptive blood making us really capable of prodigious fruit, fruitfulness, and then he throws it into the furrows of the world. And uh, we are like that wheat. But we have to have apostolic zeal. We have to be on fire. We can't be just bland and uh, just taking care of our own little things without real zeal. We can't be wishy-washy or or lukewarm. And so what is this apostolic zeal exactly? There is the idea of apostolate and doing apostolate or we call it evangelization of course. But it's not just apostolate it's also zeal. A kind of divine craziness that we have to have. And as you know, in a way, our our father speaks about the symptoms you know you know you have a you have a disease or something you look at the symptoms what are the signs of it right what are the symptoms of this zeal or this divine craziness our father outlined three fundamental ones hunger to know the master constant concern for souls and perseverance that nothing can shake see they they have their different roles and we have to seek to understand them. So, per, you know, hunger to know the Master, constant concern for souls, and then perseverance. No matter what, we we don't get frightened off. Hunger to know the Master means means we want to know him more because he is so lovable that we fall in love with him, not with a fictitious image of him, but really him. That we love him. That's there was a time we you know we were often. Uh, invited, and we could still be you know, invited to, to read the, the life of Christ, right? and our Father used to give out the lives of Christ, and there are so many of them. This is what Pope Benedict did, and of course, many before him have done the same thing, just to know the lovable figure of Jesus Christ, but have that hunger, not to be satisfied with a kind of a stale, basic image that mystic i was telling you about from austria maria sima she was um, she was asked about by this journalist about confession and you know the journalist asked her well, what do you say to people who just say well i just you know I, I i just hear always people saying well i just go to confession directly to god i don't have to go to the conf- confession i don't have to confess my sins to a priest i'm too embarrassed to tell a priest my sins so i just confess myself directly to god And so, what do you say to those people, she asked her. And, um, well, she gave her some answers from Scripture, of course, obviously our Lord instituted the Sacrament of Reconciliation, he breathed on the apostles and so forth. But but, um, she said that, uh, in her experience, many people do really feel a direct sense when they go to confession that they are actually speaking directly to Christ. And the, the journalists kept pushing her, saying, "No, no, but the, the, the everybody knows they didn't the confessional there 's just an old priest there you know <laughs> he 's an old guy they know who it is, and they 're ashamed to tell their sins to that priest. They picture that they 're going to be saying not so much to Christ but that, to that priest so she said okay okay i 'll tell you a story So there was this mother who had a boy who who she was preparing presumably for you know for First Communion or something or I don't know if he's already done First Communion or what but in any case he was a small guy and she was teaching him how to go to confession and um, presumably he, you know, she could tell he had been somewhat naughty he had, I don't know, whatever he did but uh, uh, so she, t- she explained to him how to do it she prepared him and she said okay so you go into that confessional there and they knew Father So-and-So was an old priest uh, they knew very well who it was and the boy came out absolutely beaming just thrilled Mm -hmm. and um, and she said well did you see the priest yes yes yes, yes. and she said she asked the boy well what did he look like he had chestnut eyes he was young he was strong he he, he was tall he had a long beard and and basically she was giving an an image of what seemed to be Christ, you know, and that is not at all what father whoever it was looked like. He was old, grey haired, you know, probably, you know, somewhat chubby priest, you know. And but uh, somehow the, the the boy got this experience of speaking to Christ directly. Obviously this is who knows this if this is true or this is just personal experiences, but um, but there's this hunger to know the Master. Then the constant concern for souls. We have to seek really to have that concern. And for that, we, well, we have to end up overcoming our own egotism or our love for our comfort and our, our fear of suffering or the things we want for ourselves. The, we we can offer for souls the aches and pains that we have, our own tiredness we can offer those little small things or bigger things for their happiness. But, you know, this concern for souls, am I eager? Am I a person of initiative? Am I a person of initiative with souls? Or maybe just passive? Do I let other people organize things? Um, You know, we really have to have that. Like a I don't know what year exactly this was, but there's one year where our father went to uh, France and uh, he went to a place called Abréville, a small town near, near the town of Etampes. And um, they had found uh, like a house there in the countryside. And he spent some time there in France. And, um, but while he was there, he didn't have a single glass of wine. He only had mineral water and someone asked him if he disliked French wine and he answered well even though the French wines are very very good the only thing that I'm interested in right now are souls in France mm-hmm. and uh, you know how he would say that all every soul is worth all the blood of Christ he he had this constant concern for souls and then on one occasion this is what L'Hombre uh, de Vila says you know Peter recounts this story how uh, he was uh in i don 't know some place in uh Villa lanti or whatever, and they were looking at some slides from kenya and um somebody was showing some slides that were beautiful landscapes there were sunsets there were exotic people with exotic clothing, wild animals, and uh exuberant vegetation, and everybody's going, "Wow, beautiful pictures you know uh, you know in the old slides and uh, suddenly this this image came and boom, it was just like dark and unfocused and uh, it was hard to make out what exactly it was, you know, but it turned out this the slide, as used to have slides, it was kind of either jammed in there with another one, and you just couldn't make out what it was and it was just like big, massive black thing and somebody said, is that a large rock? What is that? Is that a tree trunk? Is it an animal head? What is it? And uh, they were all, you know, speculating as to what this could be. And uh, the person in charge of the projector was like, l- saying, let me get this in focus. And they were trying to get the thing in focus. And then um, our father wondered aloud himself. He says, what, is it a plant? Is it an animal? Is it a tree? Is it a person? And uh, several voices were saying similar things. And finally, it came into focus. And it was uh, a... A black rugged looking human figure that could be seen but then they said is it a man is it a woman <laughs> and um, they were also you know asking these questions and our father said well that's the line he said, he said whether it's a man or a woman it's a soul <laughs> it's a soul no? and it's worth all the blood of Christ it would be worthwhile going to Kenya for only one soul Or even half a soul, but uh, those don't exist. So, but uh, just to go to Kenya for one soul, Mm -hmm. and we have to have that kind uh, of—I mean, those are anecdotes, you know. But do I have that concern when I see people? Do I somehow see a soul there, or do I tend to see a competitor, or or somebody who gets in my way, or? Or am I more interested in my own comparisons? <laughs> so, it's this hunger to know the Master, this constant concern for souls, and of course, perseverance. As he would say, in the way, A perseverance that nothing can shake. Which means, if we are to have zeal, well, we have to have uh, fortitude. We have to have tenacity. We have to have continuity. We have to have daring. And then this strange expression, where our father would say, holy shamelessness what is holy shamelessness shameless you know we say that's shameless how how could you do that that's shameless well uh, I think it was our father who said it's a characteristic of life of childhood you know a child doesn't worry about anything they just they make no effort at hiding their weaknesses their natural weaknesses even though everybody is watching them and they don't they they burst out into tears when something bothers them Uh, uh, they don't like try to put on a nice facade Mm -hmm. well our father would carry that that's at the human level but he would carry that to the supernatural level Mm -hmm. and uh, if we really trust that Jesus our Lord has justified us then he can and does deal with our sins and all the Unrighteousness in our lives, right? Uh, uh, that according to him, are ultimately nothing to really be ashamed of, because he has is, he is, uh, cleansed them, justified us, we were made righteous in his in his goodness, in his mercy. And we have we can have like a like a childlike faith, That's something like what this holy shamelessness is as we go about the day, try, just trying to please the one who loves us. And, um, and when we allow our lives just to be by, uh, manipulated by what may appear shameful, when we're, we're, like, when we're more concerned about what, is, what other people might think about our behavior, or how they might like us or not like us, then we, well, we've started to lose our freedom in Christ. If our, what's going through our head, well, they like me, do they, do they think I'm good, do they think I'm smart, or whatever, then we get kind of shackled by these anxieties and these fears, and, uh, you know, our focus is lost. Uh, and uh, we don't think like children of God. And th- in, in that state, if we're habitually in a state of wondering, uh, did I do a good job, did they like me... Um, i don't know it's hard to persevere in that nobody can go on in that right nobody would, who would want to do that right that's why we have to move really perseverance is not based simply on our toughness or tenacity i mean it brings us that but it really rests on uh, a supernatural vision based on god's mercy and his goodness mm-hmm. so as we as we meditate on this we have to ask the lord for that Eagerness for sanctity, which brings with it true apostolic zeal. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the work who who was very passive in their in their apostolate, just never talked about apostolate in spiritual direction, just never thought whatever, right? You know, never came up with anything. You know, they would be in a fragile state mm-hmm. and. And so, well, we can go to uh, Blessed Alvaro. As you know, in 1975, he was elected. uh, At that time, he wasn't prelate, but he was the president general of Opus Dei. And it was 1975 in September. He he wrote. I think it was he wrote already a letter uh, in June, you know, or July or something of 75, recounting the whole episode of the death of uh, our father. But but then he he wrote a longer one in september and it was a beautiful letter w- recounting all the, his memories of our father his life and his personality and so forth and uh and now of course he understood the responsibility that he had that he had to articulate the spirit of the work he had to sa- safeguard it he realized that he'd been given this grace to have lived with a saint and um and that uh, you know that he said we have to make use of our talents because uh the devil is ravaging through god's vineyard and and so he said he used that image from the gospel that in jesus bank uh, par- banquet parable you know the, the story of the of the the king who invites all these people to the to the banquet he sent uh, or the master sent his servants to gather the guests to the feast and his instructions were to go out to the highways and hedgeways and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, and you know, compel people to come in. So what that's the in, in Latin, compelle interrare. And so Abu would comment that phrase. Well, what does that really mean? If if there's an apostolic zeal, what does it mean? How do you understand that? He says, well, we must really practice the compelling and first of all with ourselves, with ourselves, because God, despite our stubbornness and our turning a deaf ear, has been waiting a long time since before creating the world, with wonderful gifts, mercifully prepared for His children. So when we've turned again to Him at every instant, To help many others do likewise. No one who passes by you, my daughter, my son, should be able to exclaim Ominem non Abeo, I have no friend to lend me a helping hand. Referring to the of course the the blind man at the pool of Besida, right, who was waiting for the the pool to be stirred up and he said to our Lord, No nobody to nobody to throw me into the pool, right? Or we didn't Abbe, because he couldn't go, he was, uh, you know, he was a paralytic. So this is how, so this is a beautiful imagery that Donauro uses to explain that image of the man who has nobody to help him. And he extends that to, to many people that have no, you know, they have no formation, they, I don't know, they, they just don't know, you know. He says, with our Father's spiritual message All the waters of this earth, every type of work and environment, every noble social situation has been stirred by God's angels. As were the waters of the pool of Bethsaida, that we hear of in, in acquiring curative properties. Here is where our proselytism comes in it is our duty to encourage others who can manage on their own and who are within our reach relatives friends colleagues to plunge fiercely into the healing waters now today the word proselytism has taken on a slightly new meaning but I mean in that time really proselytism really meant apostate evangelization it's just taken on unfortunately it's taken on a negative meaning but well, you can't help that but it's not uh, maybe we can't use that word anymore but uh, but it re- initially had a very good meaning he said so if on earth many strings of water have been contaminated by the sowers of hatred do not forget that with the spirit of the work torrents of healing can flow even from the most unlikely and arid stones work hum- humanly well done has become a way of healing people's eyes so that they can discover God in every circumstance and facet of life. It's a beautiful image, right? So, moreover, this has happened right in our times when materialism is bent on turning work into mud, which blinds people and prevents them from looking at God. Though our Lord did wipe mud on a guy and that still healed him right so with the power of God even mud can do it because mud has some water in it right so he says keep going my child in our father's name I ask you to let yourself be healed and to heal those around you using these waters which spring up unto eternal life they spring up ever accessible to us creatures they never stagnate offered to us by God in his mercy I assure you that by meditating on these words and listening to the constant echo of that fourth, final, and unforgettable peal of our, our Father rang the, the bell, like Ambanada, you know the bell, the peal of the bell. You will be led along a path to greater sanctity and greater fervor in winning uh, apostles. That, that's what we want. We ask that fervor, eh, that it really be present in our life, hmm? and uh, that that way. You know, that we we can really say the Servian every morning with a real fervor, you know. And ultimately, it's about making, not making, but inviting others to be happy. You know, making sounds uh, forcing or something. But, you know, we are happy. We want others to be happy. We want others to share that happy. If we were not happy, well, then we wouldn't share. <laughs> we wouldn't want others to share that unhappiness. And our, our Blessed Mother, of course... She was extremely happy to be the mother of God, or you know, to have that role to play. She'll intercede for us, right, so that that zeal really become perhaps more apparent, now more uh, incisive in our life, especially as we transmit that joy of being sons and daughters of God. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect.